0: academic calling katie brent in katie brent's debut novel how to kill men and get away with it we meet kitty collins friend lover killer kitty is a social media influencer a fierce protector of her friends and a young woman with a sharp sense of justice which begins when a man from a nightclub who wouldn't leave her alone follows her home Katie and I talk about female rage, particularly the long awaited emerging permissiveness of seeing female rage in fiction and in popular media, about black comedy and the works that influence Katie when thinking about her book. And here I was really pleased that a friend of our podcast, Alyssa Nutting, gets a shout out from Katie for Alyssa's novel Tampa. And Katie and I also talk about the complexities of female friendships, and we try very hard not to spoil anything. Hopefully our great lengths of talking around things will encourage you to pick up a copy. Fans of A Certain Villanelle from Killing Eve or fans of the Emerald Fennell film Promising Young Woman or of Oinkan Braithwaite's novel My Sister the Serial Killer will all enjoy Katie's debut. Currently, How to Kill Men and Get Away With It is available only in ebook. We anticipate its paperback release in spring 2023 from our friends at Harper 360.
1: So today on the podcast, I would like to welcome Katie Brent, who is the author of How to Kill Men and Get Away With It, which is probably one of my favorite book titles um, that I have ever come across in a very long time. So, Katie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hi, no problem, at all. Lovely to be here.
1: So I guess first things first, um, to sort of situate our listeners, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about How to Kill Men and what your inspiration was for um, both writing the book as a whole, the plot, and in particular its protagonist, um, Kitty Collins, who is an Instagram influencer and just a wonderful, wonderful vengeance machine for for the (laughs) cause of women. So I wonder if we could start there
2: yeah i mean i have always been sort of um really interested in the more morally gray characters um in in literature and even sort of i guess morally pitch black characters as well have always been i've always found them a lot more interesting than you know the, the, the others <laughs> so i think for me it was i wanted to write something that possibly made people feel a bit uncomfortable I think with Kitty it's she she's a she's a protagonist that she obviously does some abhorrent things but also you kind of can't help but almost like and understand the reasons why she does these things so so that's kind of it really I mean I've always when I was writing this I sort of had in mind things like American Psycho Tampa i guess maybe the dexter books where you've got this protagonist and you're reading it from their point of view so you're really really inside their heads but you are compelled to keep going with it i think and um yeah i think that was almost like you're, you're compelled to keep reading and you feel things and you're almost then appalled at yourself for feeling these things but you can't stop reading if that makes sense so there was that and i guess into inspiration i mean <laughs> Gosh it was I I remember we've got a a, a series over here which is like a reality series I guess it's sort of almost like a kind of selling sunset the hills type of reality show so it's called Made in Chelsea and it's about these very privileged very rich um, young people who have this completely affluent life and they sort of I mean, I'm not a huge, huge watcher of the show. Um, should just make that clear at this stage. But I'd seen a couple of episodes, and you know, there were these guys who were sort of just behaving in a, a unpleasant way to the girls. And I just thought, oh god, just imagine if one of these girls just snapped one day and just sort of went on this this killing spree. And it sort of it seeded from that really. And I had kind of this idea of almost like a a stabby Sex in the City. So you've got you know this idea of female friendship and you know sort of maybe one of these 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 women going out and um getting vengeance for for their friends who are treated badly i think there's there's such a trope in in fiction overall um mediums really where you know if a girl a woman is treated badly by a man you've got this oh i'm going to go and cry into a glass of wine with my girlfriends and you know and it was kind of taking that and, and just making it a bit more angry i guess yeah <laughs>
0: One of the
1: things that happens a lot to to sort of give away part of the plot is that a lot of men die in this book, thanks (laughs) thanks to Kitty. And it was, for me, one of the things that I really liked about your novel was this exploration of female rage because of sort of a society's propensity towards violence against women. We live in a culture and society where women are still unable to go for a run without being um, harassed or walk down the street um, or do much of anything without being harassed or kidnapped or murdered and having awful things happen to them and one of Kitty's justifications for doing what she does is that she says the world is better without these men these cheaters liars and predators I'm just helping out really cleansing a society that's almost too grubby to bear I'm wondering, why do you think it's important to explore female rage in fiction and to to allow Kitty the freedom to kill? And she's not, I think one of the refreshing things about her her character and her action is that she's she's able to do this and she's not really able to feel, nor does she really want to feel bad about what she does, because she feels like she is providing a service.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I think that's sort of you've hit one of the key things there about Kitty is that she is she feels so justified in what she's doing. She's not, I mean, obviously she's a psychopath, but she isn't killing for selfish reasons. She really is out there believing that she's doing this to help the to help womankind and and you know for the for the good of for that really and i think in terms of female rage and fiction i guess it's just sort of um it's a safe space to explore these issues i guess you know you can look at why women feel so angry and where this rage is coming from but you're also and and you know the possibilities of a backlash to it but you're doing it in the sort of safe confines of a story these aren't real people these aren't real lives But at the same time, I'm hoping that a a character like Kitty, again, can get a conversation going and hopefully raise or or open people's minds or maybe make people aware of why women feel this rage. And I think as well, it's sort of um, almost saying it's okay to be angry. It, it's fine to be rage you're allowed to to be angry and grieve I think in fiction there's almost this kind of and as a society as well there's this this sort of idea that a scorned woman almost has to turn the other cheek and and walk away and you know be the better person and actually rage and anger they're, they're normal human emotions and it, it's fine to have those and it's fine to be a woman and have ugly emotions and, and that's okay you can be angry and loud and make noise about injustice and that because that's what creates change and um, ultimately mm-hmm. so I think as well there seems to be um, almost th- there's, there's quite a shift I think in recent years of of this kind of idea of an angry woman a vigilante woman almost in, in um, a lot of forms of, of media and I, I think it's good as I say it, it creates change and it's moved on so much from even sort of 20, 30 years ago, when a sort of female protagonist was not allowed to be this angry. So yeah, I think it's good. It's it's that voice, I think that obviously, it, it's not meant to be taken literally, um, in any way, this, this book, but it, it's, yeah, it, it's that voice. And I think it does need to be, it's almost like it, it's sort of a global thing. It's become, I mean, you mentioned that Um, women not being able to go out for a run. I know you've had um, quite a few big cases over in the States. We've had a couple over here sort of in the last um, 18 months that have really caused this huge wave of just anger and rage from women that hasn't been seen for a long time. And it's, I think it's important because it's almost like women are saying, we've had enough, we've really had enough. And, you know, that needs to keep, that, that needs to keep going. Obviously, we should be able to go for a walk or a run and not be murdered.
1: Yeah, and get home. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think like you said about different, these characters, these these types of female characters becoming more sort of commonplace and seeing their their rage as more commonplace across different forms of media, right? We just need to sort of look as far as Killing Eve, right, for mm-hmm. the character of Villanelle, who is amazing, or even the Emerald Fennell movie, Promising Young Woman, which was yeah. something that I immediately thought of when I when I was reading How to Kill Men. Mm-hmm. I just I remember watching Promising Young Woman and being so excited because I was so intrigued um, for what this Carrie Mulligan character was going to be like and watching it. And just when it was done, just sitting on the couch, just vibrating with rage really for what happened in that in that film and the arc of her character and what what she was able to do and really if you think about dudes in film right nobody gives a second thought to when a dude gets angry and mm. smashes something right and, and it's and so it's it's a refreshing kind of change to have female rage seen really seen and experienced across different kinds of medium and and be be permitted um not not having to apologize for showing this angry woman becomes this violent woman because of course like like you need that kind of an outlet sometimes.
2: Yeah definitely and it's the 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 kind of the the way that these women are being portrayed on the screen and in and in books at the moment it's as you say unapologetic rather than you know, they're not hysterical villains, which I think is what where that would go before, you know, the, the sort of trope of the, the angry psychopathic woman, um, you know, fatal attraction, I think is the prime example of that really. So yeah, I think it, it, it's good to see us moving on from from that.
1: Well, there's many different kinds of men in your book, but but two that I would like to call out in particular. One is the character of Matthew Barry Johnson and his partner Haley uh, at his funeral sorry to ruin that for some people but you know and then also the character of Charlie because Charlie is a different kind of of man who enters enters the world and while some like Matthew Barry Johnson definitely have an impact on Kitty Charlie is able to sort of get past all of her perhaps, what she thought were, were, were well-tended defences. Um, so yeah. I'm wondering if you could talk about these two types of men a little
2: bit. Yeah, okay. So well, for me, Charlie was, he, he's obviously an interesting character in there. And with him, I wanted to sort of just push back on the trope of a the thing with my book is that it it does sort of jumble up a lot of genres so there is a the idea of you know romantic comedy women's fiction chick lit if you like sort of in there and what I wanted to do was twist the idea of the the trope that the female main character changes herself for the love interest because that doesn't happen she tries to (laughs) but ultimately it doesn't and um, for me I think that is You know, quite an important statement to make. I mean, I have a daughter, she's only nine at the moment, but I don't want her sort of growing up. And I think, sort of, when I was younger and we sort of in the 90s and the early noughties, and we had the sort of rom-com tropes where. There were men who were basically stalking women to get them to go out with them. And it was sort of all ended up happier after. And it's, you know, that's not OK. And that's Deep not
1: problematic. <laughs> yes,
2: Exactly. So, you know, I wanted to have this strong character who she obviously she, she goes through moments where she's not quite so strong. But ultimately, she doesn't change herself for this man. And if anything, he probably moulds more into her world. I would say, although not completely, because of, <laughs> that not be the different. murderous part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, also with Charlie, I, I think, and to a lesser extent, characters like Adam and Rupert, um, who are in the book too. They are not bad men. Adam is a victim of sort of Kitty's earlier rage, and um, he's. Interesting because he isn't. He does a sort of morally questionable thing to her, and he pays the consequences for that. But the price he pays is completely disproportionate to what he does to her. I kind of thought that that was an interesting way to bring a, another male character into it because I think there's a lot of you know for, for hundreds of years I think women have been paying very very high prices for moral crimes that are disproportionate to what they've actually done. I mean you know burning witches and stuff like that so um but yeah I mean what I wanted to do is make sure that it's not a book that is anti-men as such it's and I think it needed to be included in there that you know there are nice normal good men and Kitty probably needed to see that as well, from <laughs> with her history. But at the same time, Charlie is—he—he—he is he, he, he not perfect. He's got his—he make—he's made a morally questionable decision, which becomes apparent later. And um, I think it's important to the arc of Kitty's characters, how she how she deals with that. It, I think having that as an important development point for her. So she's not just saying that all men are evil and she's going to kill them all. That's not the point. Matthew, so he is again, he's, he's one of the very early victims of this. And he is just, you know, an unpleasant, entitled man. He gets very angry with her because he feels that she owes him something um, and tries to sort of intimidate her into giving him that, trying not to (laughs) spoil, trying really difficult to not give anything away. And she sort of, she goes to his funeral. I think it's sort of just a morbid curiosity initially. And she was, I guess, relieved to discover that he was this violent monster. There's a point where his former partner sort of stands up at this funeral and confesses that he wasn't perfect and he he was a good dad to their child but was also an angry lying and could be violent towards her so I thought this was quite interesting because um after sort of like a while after I'd written this I read um It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover and there's one of the opening sequences is where um Lily is is talking about the the funerals of her father and she just clams up because she's got nothing nice to say to him and about him to him and I I thought that was quite a, a good sort of parallel with that but also it's like I say, it is a justification for Kitty, and she sees it as almost a thanks, I guess, from Haley, and and runs with that, <laughs> which you'll see later in the story. And I think, as well, she feels that she's done the the child a huge favour. And later in the story, she also tells one of her victims that his kids will be better off without him. And I think Kitty, she, obviously, this is coming from her own personal experiences, but again, it's something that she genuinely believes. And and I think there's a there's a moment where she realises that Matthew's mum had kind of known this about her son, which is mirrored later on in, in Kitty's relationship with her mother as well. And again, I think that sort of idea of, of maternal love is an interesting one.
1: I'm really glad that you brought up in in your answer, I'm glad you brought up the mixing of genres, because I think that's another really interesting structural part of your book. The idea of blending kind of a, a romance with chiclet, with dark humor, because this is also a very funny book, we can't, I don't think we can escape the fact that there is a lot of humor in in a story that I think would otherwise be pretty, pretty grisly and pretty grim uh, with, without it. Does blending all of these different genres allow you some more freedom, do you think, to take a bit more risk in terms of how you develop the plot?
2: Yeah, completely. I mean, I think sort of taking, I mean, if we look at the murders, that it just sort of as they are, they are completely ridiculous. That side of the book is not seeded in any kind of reality at all. And it was never intended to be. I think by putting that, I mean, at one point she sort of tries to get, move a body using roller skates and, uh, you know, it's completely, it, it's obviously ridiculous. And, you know, we've got incompetent police. There seems to be no CCTV in London, no DNA. I mean, it is it is completely unrealistic in in, in terms of that. But like you say, it's sort of by taking away because the subject matter is so gritty, it really is. I mean, it the trigger warnings that sort of people have flagged on Goodreads is um are quite harrowing. And I think obviously without that, it would be just a very, very dark, depressing read that would be quite offensive to a lot of people. And I didn't I didn't want that. The the, the dark humour allows you to well, allowed me to sort of touch on these really dark and traumatic issues without it becoming this heavy horrible read which it could so easily be and also the other thing is if if you want to really sort of read about those things in a dark and horrible way you just have to turn on news so
1: yeah there's enough yeah there are enough stories in real life that you can get your your grimness um, from from reality and not have to worry about getting it from (laughs) from fiction. The next question I'm going to ask, I realize, is in some ways a, a kind of a pregnant question that we can't really get into because we don't want to spoil it um, for people. But so feel free to, to limit how you how you answer. I, I totally get it. Um, I know that for the listener, it might be slightly frustrating, but that's why you have to read the book. Um, and then you can go back and think about this question that we're going to talk about. But something else that becomes very important in your novel, and really kind of trails it all the way through, are friendships between women. They are um, integral to Kitty's social network, but also to her sort of created family, um, since her biological family is, is not the greatest. But friendships between women are important, and they become entangled, and they become messy. We have this dynamic on the one hand in this, in this book of sort of um, a binary between women and men, and for certain kinds of, certain kinds of men create problems in this book and and our problems to be solved. But women are and relationships between women are very important and very strong, but also are not without trouble. Um, So why was that also something that felt important to bring into the mix of this book?
2: I think there's um, female friendships and, and friendships between women and groups of women are so complex and so Multi-layered, and I wanted to bring that across. Like you say, Kitty hasn't; her fact, she hasn't got any family around her. So these, these tall Maisie and Hen, who are her sort of her core friends, are her family—the family that she's chosen. They're the people she gets her her support from, her emotional support. She is very protective of them, and she wants to save them. Which, oh God, yeah, this, <laughs> this is <good laughs> to talk around, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So uh, I wanted to, I mean, like I say, I was, I've been fascinated with the portrayal of female friendships on screen, particularly on screen um, for a long time. And I grew up in the Sex and the City generation. And what I have found is that there was this sort of portrayal that these friendships and these relationships are really important, but like you say, they are problematic. And I think what I wanted to do with this was try and still have that almost that ingrained sense that women are still pitted against each other and um, even in friendships and even to someone like Kitty who you know is sort of like the uber feminist i guess but she judges people by the number of social media followers they've got there's a group of girls who she calls the extras who don't quite match up to her ideas of who her friends can be and it's i think it's that an internal struggle that women have and even though we're aware of it, we're so aware of it, but I think it's so ingrained in society that it's really difficult to get yourself out of that mindset sometimes. So I think it shows how much work needs to be done on that, because someone like Kitty, who is is going out and avenging the wrongs that have been done against women, is still has this sense that she's in competition with other women in other ways. So that was was something as well. And, you know, the idea of jealousy um oh this it is really hard to talk it about. is it is it's hard it is it's hard to talk, yeah. <laughs> but also sort of you know she she wants to make sure that her friends boyfriends are, are good enough for them one of the early characters has basically ghosted her friend and she's gone out to get an apology which you know goes wrong <laughs> To me, it was that like the dichotomy almost, I guess, between this real strong sense of sisterhood and the close bond between female friends, but also the sense that we we still, I guess, not all of us, but you know, there is that sense that we are still in competition with each other as well.
1: I was quite surprised at what happened at the very end. That was not it. Wasn't what I was expecting, but it also made me look back to. Just kind of how how relationships work themselves out in terms of what Kitty's kind of larger project of the novel became, and and trying to think about sort of how her how her personal relationships were built and fostered and connected, and it was just a really interesting tension, I think, um, because you have sort of you have you have big blood spattering moments in this in this book that are. Sort of their um, severity is kind of is kind of cut through with humor, dark humor, but still humor. Um, it, it's still funny, sort of how these murders are committed and what what happens um, in in some of the cleaning up from them. But there's also then on the flip side where you would expect where you would expect, I guess, close knit community and, and bonding it is just very, very riven with tension. And that was a very interesting way, I think, to, to go about kind of uniting kind of the, the two the two big parts of her character, right? This this avenging angel, I guess, and and this young woman who has a network Primarily, if women around um, supporting her, and how how the balance is is or is not
2: struck, I guess between between those two things. Oh God, it's so hard to talk about it without ruining. It, <laughs> it didn't go the way I was originally intending it to go. Inter-
1: that's interesting. That's interesting. Um,
2: it was going to be probably more what I guess people would be expecting. Okay, but I then sort of thought you know I, I'd almost I'd, I'd gone back and I'd seen oh god this is so hard and this this sort of bubbling tension that mm-hmm. had sort of almost come through without me even intending it really okay uh, it sort of made sense to go down that
1: where it went yeah yeah <laughs> really interesting. Um, And now everyone has to read the book to find out what we're very very, (laughs) trying hard, very hard not to talk about. Yes. uh, Talking all the way around. So I just have um, one more question for you. And it's a question that we ask all of our first time guests on our podcast. Since we are primarily gearing our podcast towards teachers and their students, who was your favorite teacher?
2: Oh, gosh, so many. I uh, I I've, I was just a nauseatingly teacher's pet um, student sort of throughout everything. I mean, even now I I'm I'm sort of halfway through doing an MA and um I just yeah I, I, all of my teachers have have been my favourite. <laughs> just for different reasons just for where I am at different stages of life I guess. But I did have A level English teacher who so that would be I don't know what it is for you guys over there. It's sort of sixteen to eighteen um that level of education so okay. it's a so high school yeah yeah yeah, school, yeah. yeah. seen seen seniors 17 18 would be yeah seniors yeah okay yes yeah, so, so probably that sort of age group and I had a, an English literature teacher who was just fantastic and um yeah just really was was very got me talking and thinking and was very encouraging for us to think off curriculum as well which is yeah it's sort of in, you know I, I want to keep learning um because of teachers like that, really.
1: (laughs) That's great. Well, Katie, thank you
0: so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. It's been lovely.